Let's rock. If you're new to the tribe, we've got Rich behind the mix. Rad is across the table, and my name is Yanni Bormeister. We are Unity Gym, experts at turning driven people into athletes. This episode is brought to you by the Unify Movement System, the only online program balancing strength, flexibility, and fitness so you can unleash your inner athlete. Get daily coaching by us, plus both our epic gym and home UMS programs. As a valued listener, use the link in the description to get your first month free. Before we get started, big warm welcome if you're watching on our YouTube channel. Remember to hit that like button. The more you like, the more people will see this great content and subscribe if you like what you see. Now, we are super excited to announce that joining us today, we have Phil White from ADPT Physio and Tony Bataji from TonyBataji.com. Yes, we do. And if you don't know who Tony is, Tony's a good friend of ours. He started work in the fitness industry in 1995, first as a personal trainer and sports coach, and then moved into roles that included education, academia, and strength coaching. These days, Tony splits his time evenly between coaching one-on-one in the gym and running educational courses on many topics to do with training, program design, and body composition. He holds a PhD in sports science and has written more than 65,000 training programs and coached elite athletes in around 30 different sports. Tony, it's a pleasure to have you on the show again. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. And welcome, Phil. Thanks for joining us today, mate. Always great. Always great. So Sensational. We've got a really juicy topic uh, for today. Yanni, do you want to jump in and uh, and get us going? Absolutely. So this is the 2021 mm. Unity Gym Tribe Q&A podcast series where we asked you what you would like us to answer. And this question comes from Helen Madge from the UMS Online Coaching Group. She asks, are rest days really important? And couldn't I just switch from strength training to cardio as opposed to abstaining from exercise altogether? I think this is going to be a very, very important topic to cover. So let's uh, let's first of all um, throw this to the physio in the room. Let's throw this to uh, Phil and get your take on uh, exercise recovery because you're training for triathlon at the moment. And there was actually a second tail to this question that I got rid of. Uh, Helen asked, how do professional athletes uh, do it? How do they rest? How do they recover? Um, As though there might be something very different that they're doing or very special. So first of all, uh, yeah, you could give us some insight. And I know that Tony also um, uh, is very, uh, very much into your triathlons, aren't you? So you can probably give us some good insight from a um, a semi-professional standpoint. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely far from professional in in, in triathlons. Like my background's in Put in, you under in the team bus sports. There. I played 11 years of ultimate frisbee competitively, like international level of that. And then I've dabbled in powerlifting and I've done training with the Unity guys and now a bit of beach volleyball and surfing. And now it's been great over the last little while to get really stuck in a triathlon. And of all the sports I've ever done, it's been just such an interesting one for figuring out how to fit it all in because there's not only the swimming, um, cycling and running, I'm, I'm training for a, a half Ironman, um, but then also you're getting strength work in there and this program we're doing also then chucks in a bit of mobility work and then some some mindset training, which has been quite good as well. But uh, yeah, just the, the sheer logistics of trying to fit in <laughs> like multiple sessions a day um, while also trying to have a life as well has been, um, has been definitely very challenging and it's really interesting from a recovery side of thing because yeah, this question is great from Helen because it's one of the most common things that I get as a physio is people are like, they sort of think that there's going to be like in an injury perspective, they often think there's going to be one silver bullet exercise. It's going to be the exercise that they've not been doing that once they do it, their body will work perfectly. And they often think that any exercise that I then prescribe that they should do as 
like different types of people some people will just not do the exercises at all but there's a lot of the unity members are like very committed to um to their training will be like great i'm gonna do it every day twice a day yeah. <laughs> like yeah. no we've got to we've got to um get a better understanding of, of the bigger picture and realize that exercise you know is uh, i explain it like exercise is like a medicine if you take the right amount then you're going to get a good result but you can most certainly overdose <laughs> so um yeah getting the recovery side so is, is so key for for optimal performance so yeah, I mean, I awesome. can keep going yeah. in the rabbit hole, but I'll throw this over, to, let's throw it over Tony. to Tony. And um, and I guess if we just to um, just to circle back to Helen's question, I do think that Helen is uh, specifically referring yeah. to um, strength plus cardio. Yeah, recovery for a strength training program. So if you're doing resistance training, um, do you need recovery days, or can I just do cardio uh, instead of abstaining from exercise altogether? Yeah, and this concurrent training, so concurrent training being training for strength and, and um, cardio uh, together, I think is just such an interesting one because you, you talk to strength people and they like it's everyone's experts in kind of specificity. And so there's not um, too many people who really bridge the gap and have that good um, marriage of doing both together. And I'm excited to hear Tony's um, perspective as someone who likes his endurance uh, work, but has worked with some amazing strength athletes. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be taking notes on this one, I think. Well, we, we've got recovery and we have rest and they mean different things. That would be point one. Point two is it depends on what kind of end goal you want to achieve. If you are an athlete, then you've got lighter days, both for the brain and for your body to absorb the heavier and the quality training earlier in the week. But that could be walking or it could be yoga or it could be a recovery ride. And we call that recovery training as opposed to rest, which really is lying on the couch. And the reason why athletes use rest as opposed to just using recovery is that even when you're doing recovery, you're still using your slow twitch muscle fibers. When you perform high intensity work, weight training, effort work, interval work, you're using all muscle fibers, slow twitch and fast twitch. And then when you perform low intensity work, then your fast twitch fibers are recovering while you're still exercising and you get blood flow and muscle fiber recruitment, but it's all of the slow twitch type. So that's where recovery comes in. And that's why athletes use recovery. But even during recovery sessions, you're still using slow twitch muscle fibers. So it's important and elite athletes know this to have complete rest where you're off your, off your legs, off your body, and that gives your slow twitch fibers a chance to recover. So the very best athletes would typically take one full day off a week or a fortnight where all muscle fibers are forced to recover. So it's not just recovery days, it's also rest days. So Helen, it depends on what you really want to get out of training. Because if a client wants body compositional changes, then we tend to not really have rest days. We have recovery days where you do some very light, it could be some swimming or some walking, give your body, brain a rest. But the full recovery of slow twitch fibers is not particularly important because you just want to remain active because energy expenditure is a big goal. But if you're an athlete and you're really revving the system and you're doing interval work or lifting weights, then you do need rest days to fully let all muscle fiber types get their rest as well. Yeah, I think... Um... 
personally for me when i'm training the way that my programming intends me to which is five days a week doing uh, two sessions a day where i'm doing a lot of mobility and skill-based work in the morning things like handstands and light acrobatics and then in the afternoon i'm doing a strength session um, doing that Monday to Friday and then a sort of uh, shorter combined version of both on Saturday. I find that if I don't have a rest day where I literally there is not only is there no intention to do any exercise, there's an intention to not even walk anywhere if I can get away from it. Um, that if I don't do that, I really feel it. I It, it just starts to catch up with me um, within a couple of weeks. And I also find that um, I, I really enjoy that rest day when I'm training to that kind of a level. It's something that I look forward to where I where I can just feel really good about sitting around and, and just not really doing much at all, except maybe taking my son to the park and, um, you know, watching him run around and play. There's, a, there's an argument to say that when you've got young kids, you don't really ever get a rest yeah. day. <laughs> but, <laughs> I do my best. But you do, you do get recovery days uh, where it's just chasing yeah. after kids or entertaining kids. But... Um, I I certainly agree, and it it also I think what you um you mentioned there about revving the engine, it also you really need to consider the intensity that you're reaching during your training sessions because, you know there are a large majority of people that that train regularly but they don't really train um uh, hard mm -hmm. you know it, it like in, in comparison to a, a, an athlete that's really pushing to the the, the point where they and and their bodies are very conditioned so that what they can take their um, bodies to is is superior to what most people most average people can so that has to be considered too i i yeah, guess I think I can't, i'm really bad at remembering study names but i remember when i was studying my sports science degree looking at a study where it was looking at professionals versus kind of elite versus recreational runners and looking at their total training um time and training load um and then matching that with their total training intensity and it's like it was the case that um the elite and the professionals would be training about the same amount of time, um, the same sort of volume, but they'd just never be able to hit that peak intensity because then they'd go to work during the day. They wouldn't, you know, looking after the kids, they had lots of other stresses that meant they couldn't recover. So you're not able to hit that same training peak intensity, which then gets you to progress forward. So I think it's, it was a really common thing when I was working with a niche of um, some ultra marathon runners who would just be training hours and hours and hours, but they would just like hit this wall and be like just having real troubles with injuries. Whereas some of the professionals that I worked with, like they would be doing crazy hours but then they'd just be chilling eating sleeping um taking it easy for the rest of the day and so yeah i think it's such an important one for people to realize that like you just can't burn all the candles at once like you've got to um yeah pick what your, your real goals are and then um yeah spend your energy accordingly yeah mm. absolutely i i've actually got a question uh for tony which is um something that i uh you know when i'm when i'm training the way that I intended to. And I keep saying that because, you know, there's just periods of time where my best intentions just aren't being met. And, uh, you know, the, the work-life uh, balance sort of gets a little bit in the way of what my training goals are. But if I am doing it the right way, um, I, I have done a little bit of looking into the idea of um, planned uh, deload weeks versus uh, unplanned deload week. And um, 
I have in my current training, I have uh, two planned deload days a week. So Friday and Saturday is a reduced uh, volume day down to about 40% of uh, volume of Monday to Thursday and then Sunday being a rest day. But then I'll also have an unplanned um, deload week sometimes when I can feel like I'm in a state of overreaching. And when what I mean by being in a state of overreaching is when inexplicably I cannot perform to the same level and the same intensity that I could the week before when um, when recovery is unchanged and um, you know sleep is unchanged. What are your what are your thoughts on that, Tony? On which I guess uh, in layman's terms, I'm saying listening to your body. And you know, if you are mm -hmm. training um, and you're really going for it, and you have this plan of you know this ambitious six day uh, a week training split, um, listening to your body where you are looking at oh wow, you know, last week like if we just use a, a, a weightlifting um, number, you know, for, for people to be able to wrap their head around this easily. But if you were doing a hundred kilogram back squats uh, for five reps for five sets and um, now you go into this session and in your warm-up set you're really struggling to even get past 90 kilos um, what's your take on you know unplanned uh, and planned deloading yeah I'm a fan and I think every coach is of listening to your body or using a metric that measures internal stress to guide the training periods of more volume intensity, less volume intensity. And this is the intuitive or auto-regulated periodization that's been around for decades. During rest is where the body makes the adjustments from all the training that you've been doing. So often rest is viewed as a wimpy term, but you have to balance training and rest to reach a fitness goal. But sometimes we'll accumulate too much stress and not just training stress. It could be lifestyle, work, relationship, it's all stress to the body and ultimately the body will fail to absorb that and make positive adaptation and you can listen to your body and failing to reach numbers that you know that you should reach is a sign that you should shut the the book on on your training log of the day and just go home or do some uh, think on the fly and do more restorative training some more flexibility or some zone two or steady state work just to let the body restore itself. But the idea that you should just push through it for your mental capacity is not a great idea because it means that you're failing to absorb the training load and you're going to further exacerbate that problem. So for my clients, we use heart rate variability as a guide. And if we've planned a hard training session, legs or intervals, and the heart rate variability data suggests that you should either have a rest day or a light recovery day, then we listen to the metrics. And studies show that this is a better way of planning your loading and deloading rather than just following the schedule. Just with the practicalities, heart rate availability is something that I've been going deep into since getting into the triathlon training. Are you doing morning readings um, with a heart rate belt on a heart rate app or are you doing taking metrics like body battery from Garmin or um, using sort of certain readings from Aura Rings? Like, do you have a, what's your, the way you yeah. implement that? Yeah. Yeah, so I use for ease and with no affiliation, I use an aura ring. And but for any athlete, it's the morning heart rate variability that we want. So for those who don't have an aura ring, we just use simply heart rate 
variability for training, HRV for training, and you use your finger on the light on your camera and you measure a minute every morning on waking. And that data is as good as anything. And that will guide, once you've got rolling averages, because you need to compare you with you over the days, it will be able to say, right, you're having a, you're having a great day. So that's where you're going to do your hard session or you should really dial it back. And for anyone with kids or enjoys a glass of wine or has a, a stressful job where stress accumulates over the week, you'll soon realize that you can't do your quality sessions on Thursday or Friday. Yeah. You're better off doing that on a Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, after testing a lot of apps, I ended up on HIV um, training as well and finding that fingerprint reading was yeah. definitely just to fit it in. Like I have the heart rate belt and I was doing uh, different apps, but I found that way just getting it done yeah. in the morning is great. Yeah. Um, What's that app? Yeah. So, I, think, I think everyone uh, accepts that HIV for training leads the technology. Yeah. So I think that's the mm. easiest and best to use. Yeah. And do you, so with that app, what you do is you, you do get the reading, which is going to be the objective data, but also has a subjective questionnaire, which asks you a bit about um, how you're feeling and what's happening with your training. Do you um, kind of weight the objective versus subjective as highly or do you preference? Yeah, you know, I, I ignore, personally, I ignore it, but it really is individually specific. So if you are somebody who is very in touch with themselves, and can monitor aches and pains and sleep quality and so forth, then that's great. I'm not interested. I just want to know what my HRV is and then I can plan accordingly. Do you want to quickly explain HRV for people who um, haven't heard of that before? Sure. So when we look at our heart rate and if the heart rate were to say 60 beats a minute, you would think that you have one beat every minute, but it's not the case at all. The heart beats asynchronously so one a little more than a second one a little bit less than a second and one on the second and it's been known now for quite some time that the degree of asynchronicity of our heart is a sign of the health of our parasympathetic nervous system so we want a degree of high variability differences of where our beat is and it's not on the second and the more variability we have the greater are, in this instance, our recovery and the health of our parasympathetic nervous system. When we're stressed, sleep deprived, and unable to absorb training loads based on how much we're doing and how much we can absorb it, then our heart becomes very synchronized. And that shows with a heart rate variability number that drops. So it is a very studied area in science, both from health, but in our area, our ability to tolerate and positively adapt to training. So for a, such a, a simple $10 app, it gives such an insightful view into how well you're tolerating your training. I want to um, <clears throat> just finish up on making a really big point of highlighting the different uh, influences that can affect heart rate variability because most people will be listening to the podcast and thinking and and, and um, uh, just considering the exercise um, uh, stimulus and and the stress that 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 is essentially exercise is stress for the body that we get a positive adaptation to which you mentioned before, but what a lot of people that I've found over my sort of eighteen years twenty years plus coaching people don't consider is the different. Um, uh, stress mechanisms in the life that can have a huge effect on that. And most people, when they turn up to the gym, uh, want to just go 100% because they want to make the most of the time. And mm. I think it's really important that we 
we um, we highlight this that the training stimulus will simply not be absorbed well if you've got all these different sort of stress responses occurring uh, from you know it can be anything from financial relationship work related sleep uh, deprivation uh, what's going on at home with your kids uh, through to how much you're exercising um, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that Tony and, and how do you communicate that to your clients yeah I think most modern day personal trainers don't read enough of coaches who've gone before them across different disciplines we don't need to reinvent the wheel the coaches of the past have already done the work for us and we just need to stand on their shoulders and apply that to our specific field you can't train hard multiple days in a row coaches have said for decades alternate hard and easy days because stress is stress whether it's heat or cold stress whether it's food stress a caloric restriction or or eating a weight training stimulus aerobic stimulus it's just stress that just tends sends the signal in slightly different directions but you can't get a positive result for fitness by adding stress on stress on stress you need stress and then you need recovery stress and recovery and that's why coaches have always said alternate hard and easy days so when you work with the general public who don't have the luxury of training and then resting for the rest of the day which is what pro athletes will do you've got to go to work you've got to pick the kids up you've got to read the kids a bedtime story you've got work stresses then you've got to look after your partner and family and aging parents it's stress 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 so we have to understand periodization and have times where we push and times where we hold back and maybe times of the year where it's more base building and then times of the year which is more revving the engine all in line with your own life circumstances and using guides like hrv will help you to know whether you are tolerating your personal situation or whether you could actually ramp it up or whether you need to dial it back a little that's brilliant yeah, yeah there's awesome. like a bigger conversation which I, we won't have now but i think when you're talking about before with professional athletes and triathlons maybe always pushing really hard it's been really enlightening since getting stuck into this and looking at different styles of training and it's just really made me appreciate the value of low intensity training like i would have never gone out for a run or a cycle before and just gone at a kind of conversational pace or a pace where I could breathe with like through my nose, like that's a, quite a low intensity. Mm. Like I'd never have done that before. Cause I thought, oh, you know, there's no real point of doing this. Like it's mm. kind of not hard enough mm. to get any yep. big result. Mm. Um, but since getting stuck into this, there's just so much value in, um, I guess the, on the physiological side with, with building the aerobic system, but also just, it means you're then fresh to take on your, um, your harder sessions. Cause if you're trying to hit those harder sessions again and again, it, you're just not going to hit the threshold for actually to get an adaptation. And it really makes you enjoy training more as well. Like, so value the easier stuff. Everyone listening. It feels like <laughs> one of the silver linings of going under the knife so many times for reconstructive surgery is that you learn to value really low intensity training <laughs> sessions. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And this is where the the rule of 80-20 comes from. And, and Stephen Seiler is really credited for, for going through the training logs of the, the most successful athletes on the planet who've got longevity. So in other words, they weren't successful one year. They were successful over multiple Olympic cycles. And when he analyzed their training logs, 80 or so percent of the training was spent under the first lactate turn point. So really easy. 
and then 20% of their training week would be spent in the red zone. And this idea was, well, train easy on the easy days so you can train hard on the hard days. I was riding this morning with a age group cyclist. A, a, he's on a, a, a continental team, so a very good cyclist. And he's asking me to give some input into his training. So the first thing that I did was made sure his easy work was properly easy. So doing a lactate test, I was able to show where his power was before he hit two millimolars of lactate. And he didn't realize that it was so much less than what he was doing his easy rise at. And his feedback today after a month was, I can't believe how fresher I am and how much harder I can train when I do my effort work because I'm doing my easy work easy and then my hard work hard. So, well, I'm glad uh, you took the advice of a physiologist because most continental riders or age groupers, they would just say, that's not, it's too easy. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And per, for, personally, it's, uh, you know, where it, it feels to me like we're talking a lot about um, you know, training adaptations related to uh, strength development or endurance or performance. But um, personally, I do uh, training, a lot of training that involves skill. And the when you're doing skill-based training and skill-based work like light acrobatics, um, those the the idea of that I always have to train to my peak is the best way to get injured. It's some you really need those mm -hmm. days where you're not trying to push yourself at all, um, but that adds to the neural pathways. It adds to the development of the skill when you're doing those lighter mm -hmm. training sessions. Um, and I've found it uh, hugely beneficial uh, to to be to be training with that eighty twenty principle as well. Yeah, I think more personal trainers in the current age of online trainers need to do more work experience with seasoned veteran coaches who understand the push and pull of the training process of knowing when to push, knowing when to dial it back and, and having a, a plan in place as opposed to, well, I'm going to train your glutes every day of the week as hard as we can. Mm. I th and it's funny because the more experienced we, most uh, coaches become and even um, you know novice athletes uh, like all of us here and like what you've just said Phil like the, the further your, your training age goes along the more you start to go oh there's there's some value in this <laughs> maybe I should have listened to those people <laughs> awesome yeah. well thanks so much Tony that was another really enlightening talk and for those of you who are wanting to know how you can connect with Tony, Tony can be found on Twitter at Tony Bataji, T-O-N-Y-B-O-U-T-A-G-Y. For interesting articles he has read or on Instagram at Tony Bataji for more training related information. And remember that you can enroll in any of Tony's amazing coaching courses at TonyBataji.com. Thanks again for joining us, Tony, and we really look forward to having you on another episode of the show in future. And thanks for joining us, Phil. Thanks, guys.